Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Where we continue to follow the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden now. Those are just some of the scenes overnight as thousands of Americans gathered in celebration of Osama bin Laden's death. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill says he has thought about the mission every day since that May Day in 2011. From multiple conversations you had with Rob O'Neill over the past year and a half, how'd you get And you described that his head kind of exploded yes, when you hit I, him. Yes, I actually hit him three times because I shot him twice when he was standing and once on the ground. That is the fucking American badass. Go, go, go. We are not going for fame and we are not going for bravado. We are going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning, and then 45 minutes later, she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. I'm Rob O'Neill, and this is the Operator Podcast. All right, here we go. Welcome back. Episode 20 of the Operator Podcast. This one is... Uh, more into our holidays. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas episode. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays overall. It seems like only a month ago we were talking about Thanksgiving, holidays and stuff like that. I like to share stories of some of my experiences overseas as one of the troops, what the troops do. I was just talking about Thanksgiving and that, and I was thinking about back to some of the stuff that we did when I was in the Navy. My, I, I was deployed a few times as a Navy SEAL during Christmas. I had some interesting Christmas experience in the Navy. All my deployments in the Navy were as a SEAL, but um, I'm thinking about, I actually talked to some of the guys today from my different platoons, different squadrons, and just kind of reminiscing on the, the bullshit that we did. The different places that we found ourselves on different holidays, and it's just so cool to think about the stuff that you can do. That's uh, especially in in uh, in this country and in the West, you can get yourself into an adventure just by joining the military, by getting by getting out there, raising your right hand, and getting into one of the services. Obviously, our allies do that too, and we celebrated some really good times with my friends from the Special Boat Service, the SBS. Uh, and it seemed like being with with the Brits in Kandahar, it was like every day was Christmas, right? Um, but, uh, you know, nowadays, especially with social media, we've seen some of the ways that people complain about the woke stuff and what's going on with, with the military, why the recruiting is down and stuff like that. You, this is a land of opportunity. And I, I'm a big believer that you are, you're born with the opportunity for freedom. You, you can, you can pursue success, the pursuit of happiness, and one of the things that you can still do, and nowadays, I mean, they'll be happy to see you going to a recruiter's office, especially nowadays. You'll give, you'll be, that's a gift that just keeps on giving for them because their quotas are down and people, you know, we're, I was talking with um, some vets this week about what we need to do to turn it around because a lot of us veterans included, we're, it seems to be that we're getting to that point where we're disgruntled quite a bit. And we, you know, and we're good at bitching and complaining, but I think we are at a point where we, we also need to come up with solutions and, and the recruiting problem needs a solution instead of a bunch of veterans getting together and talking about how difficult it was when I went through and how, when they went through and how. But I mean, you still have the opportunities now and there's still just incredible people going into the military now and and, they, and you should too. It's a, it's a great opportunity to 
sign the dotted line and you get a job right away and it sucks, but you're going to learn how to do stuff. I, I brought it up before. One of the things I learned in the military that helped me on in life, one of the first things I learned is how to no shit ask a question. Um, if you don't understand something, say you don't understand it and uh, hopefully you get an answer and an ass chewing. But the, I think the only branch that's not having trouble is the Marine Corps because they're rich history because the Marine Corps didn't fuck around. Like you, you, you should know what you're getting into and you get a solid result and then that... that uh, that brotherhood lasts forever. The Marine Corps Semper Fi, but like if, if you know, if you're if you're having a bad day or a bad moment or a bad month, there's always the opportunity to go see the recruiter. You can be on a bus that day. You're gonna get fed. You're gonna learn how to march, hopefully, which would surprise you how long it takes a lot of us to learn how to march. But you get a lot of qualities. You learn about life. You learn about other people. You do learn that unlike social media and the the loud one percent that complains about everything, most of us have a lot in common. And we're all the same, even though we were born in different places. But I did that during the military. I started Bud's class two zero eight. I have the, actually the the red helmet behind me for third phase. I, I've explained it before, but with Bud, you wear helmets. First phase, the physical phase, is a green helmet. Blue helmet is sec, uh, the second phase, dive phase, and then the red helmet, the one you get last, is a uh, is um, weapons and and whatnot. I, I joined the Navy, left in January of 1996, which means I graduated boot camp right around April, went to Bud's, got to Bud's, <laughs> it started like in April, graduated December, and looking back and talking about how everything was harder when I went through, I don't know how I went through, mostly summer, but somehow had a winter hell week, which is what every fucking frogman will tell you, winter hell week, last hard class, Bud's class 208, but we graduated um, um, in December, of 1996, which means we're done with buds. I don't know how, but we're done. And then we get some leave because it's Christmas. So my my I think that was yeah that was my first Christmas in the Navy was going to be in Butte, Montana, which is great because I get to go back. And all the people, you know, you hear whenever you're trying to do something that someone else you know wants you to fail because either they were too afraid to try themselves or they don't think they can do something because they're from a certain spot. Uh, I, I met people in Butte, Montana that told me, family included, there's no way in hell I can make it through basic underwater demolition SEAL training, BUDS, which is the course you need to go through, hardest military training in the world. But uh, I was fortunate to go back to Butte, Montana. My first Christmas in the Navy was going to be at home, which is great because everyone's going to be back, you know, freshly out of high school, freshly in college, all my friends. So they're all going to be back. We're all going to be at Maloney's. We're all going to be at the Scoop Thirst Parlor. We're going to be somewhere up there drinking. But um, my family came down to see me after Bud's, and uh, so uh, my sister was there. My mom came down. My dad came down. My brother, Tom O'Neill, came down. Chris, I apologize. I don't know if you came down or not. I don't believe you did, but we'll say for the story that you did. But uh, they came down. They flew down. I had a truck that I'm going to drive back. So my brother, Tom O'Neill, who is up in Butte now, I'm actually going to see him this week at a bowl game. Um, he came down, we're going to drive my truck back together, which means we planned it out that it's going to be a drive from San Diego going to Butte, Montana, which I believe you can make if you just keep the clock going is a 16 hour drive. We're going to call it that. Uh, you can check whatever now and I could be wrong, but we thought it'd be a great idea to go to Tijuana. So I graduated buds. Then the next day we're going to go to Tijuana so I can show everyone Tijuana, which is, is 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 awesome, especially when you're that age. But uh, we went down there, and we figured we're going to behave. I want to show my mom how to barter with the locals, how you can buy chiclets from the kids and whatnot, go, roll around. 
Uh, I wanted to get some drinks, and so did my brother, apparently, because I remember when we uh, went to Tijuana, we're, uh, my brother's the type of guy, as soon as you get to the game, he goes to the souvenir shop. He's got to buy some shit to put on the walls, and that's the way Tommy is. It's awesome. Um, I think he's moved houses a few times because the walls weren't big enough for all the stuff he has, the souvenirs. But as soon as we got to Tijuana, Tom was off. So he's running somewhere. I'm with my mom, my sister, Kelly. Um, and like, I don't think there's a drinking age in Tijuana. I'm pretty sure there aren't really laws. But you can end up in a Mexican jail, which we almost did, but we didn't that day. But we lost Tom. And we're running around looking for him, and we hear one of those dudes running around with the tequila bottle and the whistle, like the referee whistle. The He's whistling, whistling, whistling. He'll grab your head and lean it back, and he puts the tequila in your face, and then he shakes your head around, and, and um, he keeps whistling, and you drink a lot of tequila, which is pure as shit because you're in Tijuana. Everything's pure, I guess. Then um, we're trying to find him. We hear that whistle going off, and we look up the balcony, and, and there's my brother Tom, and he's got the tequila guy with him, and we hear him go, and my mom yells, Tom, Tom, get back here. We got to get out of Tijuana. And Tom ran back into the bars on the second floor of this thing. He's on an outdoor patio. Tom runs back into the bar. This other American tourist walks past us, doesn't know us. We don't know him. And he just looks at my mom. The only words he ever said to her in her life was, Tom's gone. Tom's gone, ma'am. <laughs> so that was that. And we drove. Uh, we got him back. We found him. It's, it was great. And we, uh, we drove through. Vegas, no events there because we were still hurting a little bit from Tijuana, and I was only 20, so what am I going to do in Vegas other than go to a very well-lit McDonald's, which still does have the uh, the the Big Mac, which as far as I'm concerned, pound for pound, that's the best burger you're going to get. I uh, went up there, drove to Fort Payne, Georgia, boom, started that whole thing off, and that was my first Christmas in the Navy in Butte, Montana. It was kind of nice to get home because whether you believe it or not, you do get homesick. I was good. I saw everybody there, made it through SEAL training in good shape. Look at me. Proved you wrong. Bye-bye. So then um, went through the whole thing. I've covered uh, the SEAL stuff, SEAL Team 2, Bravo Platoon, um, first deployment, summer. And then my second deployment would have been in 1999. And I've talked about this before. This was... The uh, the deployment where we were on the USS Kennedy, CV-67, CV meaning we've covered this before, carrier aircraft, there's no N for nuclear. This was a diesel power. God help us. I said diesel powered. I hope I didn't lose any listeners because diesel fuel works, but we're going to get rid of that shit because we definitely need windmills. Um, so we deployed on that. That was fun because we went across um, through the med, down the ditch with the ditches of the Suez Canal in Egypt, and this would have been my first time in the Middle East. We didn't know at the time, because this is 1999, that we're going to spend a lot of time in the Middle East because um, we're going to get attacked. But we didn't know it, and all we knew was um, train with the allies, get to know the locals, uh, just get good at stuff and try to know the culture, things like that. So that was the deployment where we were with um, at the naval base in Bahrain, Manama Bahrain, which is a, a place in the Middle East. We've covered the Middle East. Um, we talked about Bahrain, which is near Qatar. The World Cup just ended, by the way. Mbappe is still my favorite player. We're not going to cover that Argentina one. I did predict that a while back. Um, so we're in Bahrain, and we had these apartment buildings, or flats, if you will. And we split them two dudes per flat, and we're living in a high-rise. I mentioned before, that's where we had the uh, Millennium Party 2000, like, Fuck party like it's 1999. We party like it's 2000 because it was. We almost lost some guys. God rest their souls. But we had a Christmas party there, obviously, a couple days before. And my favorite part 
of Christmas. The break is December 26th through like the 2nd of January because that's the point where we really don't know where we are. We're not really checking any emails. We don't really care. We're kind of laying around. That's my favorite part. That's when you can actually unwind. Then you get into your uh, New Year's revolutions, resolutions. What do we call those? They, the new thing you're going to do, new year, new me. That's when you know everyone's in the gym that you go to for the first two weeks, and you don't see them again until the, till the next resolution. But uh, So we're in Manama Bahrain, and what we wanted to do is uh, we're mostly single dudes. A few married guys. The older guys are married. Most of us are single. And Rinba Rain is fun. And, and, you know, it's always great to be with family, but sometimes you're deployed. Sometimes you're on a ship. Sometimes you're with a, a SEAL platoon like we were. And you got to realize, I mean, you're not related to all your family. Some some people that you get to know and love are family. And this platoon was a family. And and th- actually, you, you've heard of some of the guys. I've mentioned this platoon before. And I, I don't want to talk about a lot of people without actually interviewing them. Uh, so I'm not going to really tell those stories. Like this was, uh, Jocko was uh, AOIC of this platoon. Drago was in this platoon. Um, a couple other great guys were in this platoon. Uh, Scotty Neal, God rest his soul, he was in this platoon. Uh, and we're all living in these flats. And we had one guy, I'm not sure if I mentioned him, so I'm not going to say his full name, but we called him Mitch. And Mitch was... Um, he was the he was a Navy SEAL from Northern California. So he was raised a very liberal family and he talked like that very well educated i i've never seen anyone crush those little trivia games at a bar where you like he would play food and wine and get the top score in the history of the planet like crazy new stuff talked about great cook knew everything about wine knew what to pair what whiskeys what wine with food he's in a flat he's a basically a chef we used to actually refer to him i think jocko came up with it he started calling mitch the slackster coffee house misanthrope and I think he got the name Mitch too because there's a there's a movie called Road Trip, and they were uh, um, they were gonna feed his python named Mitch, and we would say unleash the fury Mitch, and because he was a Navy SEAL, but we come on all the different sizes and shapes. He kind of looked like that, like kind of skinny up here, nice solid belly. He knows what he's doing, then skinny again. You know, in great shape, could run fast, good swimmer. We called him Mitch, but he was gonna cook for us, and the rest of us. Like I said, we're a family. We're not related, but we're going to have a Christmas party at, I think, 9 a.m. Bahrain time. And I don't know what that is back here. I don't know what it even was Zulu time. Whatever. 9 a.m. local, Bahrain, uh, family Christmas party, Bravo Platoon. Everyone's there, but Mitch is in the kitchen. Mitch is cooking. We're all in his living room exchanging gifts. Uh, so Mitch is in there, and, he, and he's, I don't know where he finds the stuff. Like I'm talking turkeys, hams, Christmas goose, whatever. And um, we're exchanging gifts as a platoon. And the rule was, it was a secret Santa, which is always fun. And when you get the name, you don't tell them who it is, but you, you, the, the only rule is get him a gift of something that reflects his personality. So we did. And it turns out everybody bought everybody else a bottle of booze. So we had, uh, <laughs> we had one guy, Geese, that uh, we, he, you know, young guy. But had a beautiful mustache, so he looked older. He looked like he should be a sheriff in Alabama, and so we j- joked with him for being old. So someone bought him a bottle of Old Crow, and then we had another guy who was of Native American heritage, and somehow someone found a bottle of fire water, <laughs> so he got it for him. And so I, I God, I wish I remember what they got me. I, I think I got wild turkey, not because they remind I remind them of a turkey, just because it was a hundred one proof, and that's how I roll. But. We're handing these out, and then 
we're kind of looking at each other because Mitch is in there making the turkey and he's in there listening to Christmas music and he's got like the, the, the red and green apron on, like kiss the cook and all that shit. And we're a platoon full of, this is the one where, you know, Jocko wanted us all to be bench pressing 300. So we're a bunch of knuckle draggers, a bunch of pipe hitters at this room. And we're kind of looking at each other. Who's going to do it first? So we're kind of looking around and someone cracks a bottle. It might have been me. Could have been the wild turkey. And just takes a nip. Boom. All the bottles are open. We're passing them around like it's a hot potato. And, uh, you know, th- these are big bottles of water and we just left the desert. So right around, um, so that was 9 a.m. this started. Right around 11 a.m., the turkey's ready to rock and roll. Because, you know, on a holiday, you want to start eating early. He's in there, this big, beautiful thing. And it, we roll in there like a scene from Animal House. And I'm talking dudes pretending they had British accents. I don't know why, because someone bought them some sort of shit. So they're t- someone grabs like the turkey and takes a bite out of it. Someone's eating a ham with both hands, and Mitch is over there in the corner, and he's just he's just kind of like, why? All I wanted to do was have a nice family dinner, um, and it was nice. No one got hurt. Um, you know, wake up the next day, December twenty sixth, and apparently now we have a uh, a couple days off. But it was a great time, and the whole point of of that story is um, it's 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 important to remember. Um. You know, just that was a platoon that was together for a total of 18 months. They threw us together early. I simply got in because I went to sniper school. We had a guy get in because he was a communicator and uh, a, another corpsman. But it was great, guys. It was just it was just so nice, you know, being away from family in a in a faraway land, but you're with family still. And and that's that's something to remember when you're when you're passing around <laughs> for the presents, I guess, if you will, this holiday season. Think about them right now because we have men and women over there that are in their um in their uniforms, with their families, away from their real families, but uh, they're out there doing it. They're going to continue to do it. So that was the uh, that was the first Christmas I had overseas, and it it was a memorable one. So that is Bravo Platoon overseas, family having great food, and it's it's family time now, holiday season time now. I just had the best bacon I've ever had in my life. I had the it was the first time I ever cooked on a pellet stove with bacon. The best sausage I ever had in my life, jalapeno infused sausage. And I didn't buy it at the store. I got it from a, a company called Moink. Moo plus Oink. It's a meat subscription box. And they're out there fighting for the family farm. They're raising the animals well, humanely. They're um, it's a it's a eighth generation female farmer. Their employees are paid a living wage and they're 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 farming the way our grandparents did. And unlike the supermarket, if you order it, you get complete control over the the quality and source of your food. You choose the meat in every delivery box. And uh, I got a bunch. I got ribeyes, chicken breast, pork, salmon fillets. Uh, like I said, the bacon, the, the, the sausage was nuts. But uh, I, I, I love the movement. I love supporting the family farm. You're getting high-quality food. Um, you don't want big government controlling the source of your food because that's security. But uh, you'll love it. I love it. Great bacon. And you can help there, too. Go to uh, moinkbox.com slash theoperator. And you'll get a free filet mignon with every order for a year. And you can cancel any time. So right now, do that. Go to moinkbox.com slash the operator. And that's the best filet you'll ever try. Free with every order. It's for a limited time, but do it right now. Moinkbox.com slash the operator. <laughs> but that is uh, my first Navy Christmas overseas, like I was just saying. Funny as hell. I was just talking to my boy Paget about that, how we lived in the flats. He was, uh, um, I mentioned some of my friends that were cooking, Unleash the Fury, Mitch, uh, my buddies with the Firewater. He was referring to some. We had different nicknames, I guess, for each other, and Paget could speak a different language. When he would say, uh, instead of going, I'm going to the deli to get a sandwich, he would say, I'm going to go to the right and tight, get my Sammy on. Shit like that. 
But again, you get to know each other really well. That was one of his things. He was referring to uh, just you know we're reminiscing about Christmas, and uh, he was calling one of our guys the Falconeer. He's like, oh yeah, the Falconeer didn't handle his uh, the hard stuff very well. Um, and and I that was uh, like I said, Bahrain, nineteen ninety nine. We celebrated the uh, millennial there at that party, and then you know we did some we're called that we thought were complete tip of the spear maritime interdiction operations. So we'd go out on navy ships and we would take down boats that were smuggling. Um, nothing huge. One time we did uh, the Russian tanker Volga. After I mentioned that before, it was uh, a smuggling Iraqi oil. But again, nothing going on. And we figured there wouldn't be. We would train with our allies. We'd go to different places. The global war on tourism, that whole thing. Uh, and we deployed, kept doing that. Did another platoon. Switched from two to four. But then uh, 9-11 happens. Uh, and everything got real. And uh, these are not stories today. These are not war stories. I'm still telling Christmas stories overseas. And you wouldn't think that after 9-11 there would be Christmas stories. But there were. Uh, my next Christmas overseas was when I was actually at Red Squadron, SEAL Team 6. And um, the thing about it, we're in Afghanistan at the time, and it was, I don't know if it was my third deployment or whatever, it was two, whatever. It was uh, 2000, we'll call it 2008, I think. We're over there in Bagram, Afghanistan. That was the big airfield. And later on in episodes, I'm going to talk about the, the uh, how Afghanistan grew from what it was at first, the war that we won, and then how we just kept expanding because we don't know how to not throw money at problems from every different angle, and no one wants to tell the truth, and then you just keep expanding, expanding, and then everything turns into nation building, and then we turn into occupiers, which always happens. We never learn. Uh, that happens. Um, again, th- not the episode for that because now we're jolly, and it's... it's uh, it's Christmas time. So the next one, I think, was 2008 in Bagram. We had a small group there called Alpha Troop. And uh, you don't work every night in Afghanistan. It does get really cold and nasty there. It's A lot of it's at high altitude. And, and frankly, the bad guys don't come out and fight. Nobody nobody wants to, to be out there in the bad stuff. So uh, it slows down. And then every year, we act surprised that there's a thaw. And we call it the spring offensive. And then we start fighting again. We all fight each other spring, summer, fall. And then there's the Christmas season again or whatever. Um but 2008, we were over there, Alpha Troop, we called ourselves. The, re- the rest of the guys were in Iraq. So we were just a couple dudes, the, the mobile strike team. We could never get away from the term strike team because we loved the Shield, and we watched the Shield all the time. Vic Mackey was the fucking man. Um, so we were the strike team, but we're up in Bagram, and it's Christmas, and we're going to do what we always do. Let's get the boys, and I think I'll, I'll find a picture of us. There might have been nine of us, nine, ten, eleven of us to include uh, some of the headshed, but not a big group of dudes. And we go, we did have guys out in different different cities, Asadabad, Shkin, Kaust, uh, stuff like that, um, Kabul. And we would rotate in and out of there because they, they would take a week or two weeks to develop targets. We would go down there and find them and... Um, Hit them, come back to Bagram. So it happened to be one of the days that we were off, if you will, was Christmas. So it's Christmas Day, and we all did Secret Santa again, except you would think we have limited assets, but guys are very, very creative. So we did, um, it's again, you get a guy, do whatever. Somehow we all found spirits and tidings. <laughs> and we went into the like the main briefing area, which was on our secret side of the secret base. We went in there and started off the way it always does. We're giving each other stuff, but we are also creative and we kind of dressed each other up in different things. Um, I remember my troop chief who 
had been at Red Team for, at the time, I think he was at Red Team for 16 years. He'd been there a long, long time. Very senior guy, very cool guy. The type of guy you go golfing with, and he's in his bare feet and crushing the ball, smoking a cigar. Great guy. And he, he decided that because it was snowy outside and I was from Montana, that I would look good as a snowman. So he dressed me up as a snowman, and we managed to find, um, you know, uh, handles of whiskey and whatnot. So we're doing whatnot, kind of going around <clears throat> the briefing area. Then we're going to go back to our bee huts. <clears throat> now, a bee hut is a plywood shack because we can't build them out of cement because we're not going to be there forever. We're going to be in and out of Afghanistan, which is bullshit. It's going to be a 20-year war, like it or not. We went back to my bee hut, which was, they labeled them like Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, and then they number them. Mine was the legendary D-16. And D-16 is one we rotate out. We always show up when Gold Team was there. And um, a couple of my buddies that, um, that, that did die in Afghanistan turned over with us. But we're in D-16. I'll, I'll get into stories about those guys. And D-16 in particular. I've got some pictures that no one's ever seen of some of, my, some of my buddies and what we did there. And it's just a place where we had a big common area. And we proved that uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, sometimes Coast Guard, we are a very good coalition. Because for some reason, I'm dressed as a snowman. We got a bunch of handles of whiskey. And it seems like we have someone from every branch. <laughs> um, uh of the service in D-16 to include like uh, Air Force Intel officers, some people in uniform. It's Christmas. Nobody cares. Some of my guys came rolling up on donkeys because we had leftover donkeys from the Army-Navy game that we kidnapped because two is one, one is none. They couldn't get one donkey. They brought over a donkey, still spray-painted um, uh, with a big Navy N on it, blue with a, a, a yellow N, Navy. He's outside, and then naturally because the donkey got led over here, the Seabees followed him because we had nowhere to – put the donkey um so we put him in the cb's place and, and they had a really nice place where they're keeping a lot of the the super secret assets that we have but the donkeys kept shitting everywhere they were pissed they came over to yell at us because they're just following the donkey trail and um uh then all of a sudden they see the party so we got cb's air force we got a couple marines uh, i'm pretty sure the commanding officer walked past and realized uh if you can't see it it ain't there there's it's not worth me walking in there uh, to see, I remember one of our one of our dogs, one of our military working dogs was outside. Someone spilt a Jack and Coke, and the dog licked it up. The next thing I knew, I look over at the military working dog. He's wearing a red man hat and kind of laying there. Someone put boxing gloves on him. So we got donkeys, we got dogs, we got a coalition of the willing. Uh, I remember an Air Force dude came rolling up, and he slid on the ice. He was driving one of those... Uh, Razors, the, the four-wheel drive things that we'd put on the back of the helicopters and take him into salt targets. But anyway, he slipped, slammed it right into a D-16. We got a hole in the wall. We got a damn circus going on. We had an interpreter <clears throat> come over, and he was an Afghan a interpreter, like no shit Afghan that, that came to our side as soon as the war started from JBAD, and he's dressed up in some weird jean jacket. So now we have the entire coalition, Army, Navy, donkeys. Someone actually told me a joke, too, when we were there. The... Um, he kind of looks over. He's trying to explain what's going on, and he goes, do you know why they had to cancel driver's ed and sex ed in Jalalabad? Because the donkey died. <laughs> so, um, that yeah, that was a joke there. We had a Merry Christmas. I have pictures of D-16. That's a thing I'm assuming that when, uh, when we did give Bagram back to the Taliban, that thing just kind of e either rolled up and, and, and fell into the – ground like the house in poltergeist where all the, the the pools flooded with the rainwater and all the skulls come up and whatnot but that was uh <clears throat> yeah that was uh that was something d16 bagram 2008 um and it was it was just fun to realize again overseas um 
if you can't be with the lo- the one you love, be- love the one you're with or something like that, because just a bunch of dudes hanging out, telling donkey jokes. So that's uh, that's Bagram. Happy Bagram Christmas on that one. Uh, Christmas overseas. The war on terror, I'm sure, had changed its name from like Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Iraqi Freedom. We changed it to something. I'm assuming with the word talent in it or whatever. But we're still over there, and uh, I did get the opportunity to have one more Christmas. So we've we had the one before the war on terror. Uh, we had the one during the war on terror at Bagram, and the last one, the last Christmas I ever had was on my last deployment with Red Squadron because I did I did a Red Squadron deployment um, in the late 2010 early 2011 and uh obviously christmas is in between there this year i believe it was on december 25th and um i was this time i was so i'm in jalalabad now and it was it was quite a it was quite a a way to watch the transformation of how we can just build and build and build and again like i said not the episode for this but i'm gonna explain i want to go into the history of a lot of the uh not i mean History of a lot of the wars, how we repeat ourselves, how we have a tendency to do the same things over and over, and we refuse to do the right thing because we have so many different avenues, so many different lanes of intelligence who don't agree or talk, communicate with each other, and we want to fund money, funnel money into a place to a point where um, you need to keep justifying your budget. And if you don't ask for more money this time, you're not going to get your budget. So everyone's throwing money in. And Afghanistan was a place where they didn't, I mean, before we went in there, like, you got to figure. When we went to Afghanistan and we put um, Hamid Karzai into power, which, I mean, it was corrupt then, but we kept throwing so much money at people who didn't even know how to count. It's going to get more and more corrupt to the point where people can fly cash out of Bagram into Dubai and buy villas with cash. Um, so much money flowing everywhere. Like when when Hamid Karzai was put into power, he designed the uh, the Afghanistan flag on a on a cocktail napkin in a bar. Like this is what we should be, and that's how. But we we pump so much money in it, put so many contracts in so many places with people who don't know what to do with the money, um, um, <clears throat> carrying briefcases full of money and handing it off to warlords that are just they're giving it to their brother they put in power. Like they had to appoint so many different governors at the beginning and just start giving money to them. They just have money up until the very end when uh, when the president of Afghanistan flew in a helicopter with so much cash in it, it was so heavy he could barely take off. I mean, it was not like he brought a bunch of refugees or a bunch of uh, a bunch of female students who were doctors that needed to get out of the country because they're going to get um, killed in a very unpleasant way. It's cash. So uh, this last one was 2010, 2011 uh, in Jalalabad. So my first deployment in Afghanistan was in Jalalabad when I lived at a safe house by the Globe at, at an intersection in downtown Jabad. Now I'm living on a on a base that that was a, an old Russian airfield. And when we first got there, I think there were um, Russian Hind helicopters still there. Like the, the first three they shot down were in a row on that airfield. I'm pretty sure. Um, but now we built it up to you know Team America lives here now, and I was on the uh, the three letter agency base. So they put themselves on an even more secret place, and they're able to funnel more money to anywhere to the like this. This place that I was living in Jabad for Christmas was a uh, a European resort, and you have your own room, and uh, you have your own shower, and like there's different meeting spaces. And I think I've explained this before. There's like a CrossFit gyms outside. There's a 
kick-ass weight rooms inside. There's, you know, they're they're driving the big up armored SUVs. They have their super secret entrance that no way Al Qaeda could know that's us because you got the two big white dudes up front with the beards and the uh, HK416 and the one uh, white woman in the back who's a super secret spy, but her trade cap is, is way too strong. So there's no way Al Qaeda will know who she is. Um, but did I mention they had a bar with a dance floor and a disco ball? And they would do fellowship a lot. And that's one thing I agree with. With the way the agency does it, is they uh, they are good at that stuff. Like they're really, they're, I mean, when they want to communicate, they're really good at that. They know how to talk, but they also believe their own bullshit. Um, not to say they're not excellent people there, but there are people that really think they're Jason Bourne and they're not. But they had a bar that, like, they, they were they, they had so much money. We, I when I was so I'm, I'm, I was the senior enlisted advisor uh, in JBAD for all of the different stations we had around the country. And I, and I'm just, you know, I, not that I'm anything special, but I'm getting the info, giving it to the big bosses and we're splitting it up between who's cooler, the, the, um, the department of defense or, or the agency. And, um, <clears throat> but like I, I finagled a way to try to get some money where I didn't want our guys sharing rooms with, uh, what they would do is we'd put our guys in a room and then people coming through the base would share the room. And I didn't feel comfortable if we were living there for a number of months to have someone coming in for four nights, maybe disrupting their cycle of sleep. Uh, and I told this to my boss on the chains of command went way different on this, but my, the officer in charge of my stuff, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but just a fabulous guy, a lot of great guys. There, I, I have a tendency once in a while the bad mouth officers. We we have great guys in different positions as officers, especially. And this is one of them, a solid guy that like when I say that they should, they should start staffing the uh, the Joint Chiefs with O four O five level guys. This is one of the guys that I mean, someone that knows the guys in the ground, talks to the E two who happens to be a Marine who just drove through Hellman Province today, and also can go talk to a general when he you know spit signs himself up a little bit or whatever, knows the verbiage. But I, I sent a, a package to him where um, I th- I'd like to get us. So I don't want people living with my guys. So we got enough funding where we offer to buy and build two brand new buildings, and there must have been probably uh, sixteen rooms per floor for two buildings. So that's thirty-two, sixty-four rooms we offered to build on this base for them. Um, and you can have the building. We want this uh, like a quarter of, of one of the buildings so we have enough room for when our guys come over. And they had so much money flowing in and out of there. They're just like, no, we're not interested. If we wanted two more buildings, you know, we'd open the safe and we'd hire some dudes to come in here with a, you know, with a mule and a couple uh, rocks and a power tool or whatever, and then he'll build a building. But, they, you know, they didn't want it. But that, uh, that was... Um, that was it, and 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 like I mentioned, they were really good at what they called fellowship, and they love to say the word tradecraft, and they love to talk to guys like me that are too dumb to understand what they're doing. Because hey, who knows? Maybe I am. Um, but we had a we had a um, had a Christmas party there, and it was like it was it wasn't quite like being at home, and I didn't quite know everybody, but it w- I was in an area where it was it was easy enough to know people enough to bullshit them, have a drink, have a cigar, and pretend that we uh, we knew shit, and and it was it was a it was a really really good Christmas because now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to a senior level. I can sort of see my path, my path too. I always say there's never a perfect plan. Um, uh, just be prepared because once you leave to, to, to complete your plan, Murphy shows up and everything's going to change on you. But my plan, I already, I've I already seen it. I was a team leader. Um, I'm going to move on, probably get a couple years off. Michael teach skydiving until I come back to be a troop chief, hopefully make master chief. I want to be a command master chief somewhere. And then I want to be at us, an instructor at buds, until I hit my 30 years. That's the plan. 
And this, so I'm, you know, I'm thinking about that. I'm seeing my vision. What, you know, what am I going to do with my kids? How is this all going to work out? And, uh, you know, I was, I'm big in the jump community. How, how's it going to work when I eventually move to Arizona, then come back hopefully, because there is, there is a good old boy network, <clears throat> especially at SEAL Team 6, where if you leave there, you're probably not going to come back to get a good senior enlisted leadership position because if you don't stay there the entire time and fight the whole time, someone's going to be pissed at you. And if someone's pissed at you, they have the, what I call the, uh, the whisper mafia. The, the guys, when you walk in the room, they're whispering, those guys. Um, and you might not get the spot, but that's what I'm thinking about this Christmas party. And it was fun because I, I did have guys from the actual assault team. I was basically a pencil pusher on this one. I could go out on missions if I wanted, but I'm not going to be a shooter. I'm going to stay in the back. I'm going to observe and like do what they call the uh, macro level, let the shooters, the micro level, and actually go watch. I did go a few times to watch the the, the CTPT, which is the Afghan special forces, but they're like shadow special forces, the counter-pursuit team, um, counter-terror team, which again, we'll get into in another episode, but these are the guys that we paid a shitload of money to be a lot better than the regulars. But I remember trying to look forward saying, well, what's going to happen when we leave? And these guys are getting paid a lot. They're not going to go to the Afghan army to take half a paycheck when they can get paid equal or more by the Taliban. You got to think outside the box, but we're too busy talking tradecraft and Christmas party and who cares? Because the way we're going, this war's not going to end. I'm going to enjoy my Christmas here in JBAD and, and talk with um, super secret spies with great names like, uh, like uh, Hammer Fist and, 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 and Twisted Fist or whatever the shit they called themselves. And uh, then we went to January. We're getting ready February 11. And it's like, all right. And I, I'm at this point now. I'm going back to be a team leader at Red Squadron. It's February 2011. I had planned a great trip to... Um, Miami. I'm going to take my team, most of my troop, down to Miami. We're going to do some some diving, work on some tactics. It's uh, and it was so it was crazy to think at the time that uh, I'm being cocky because Navy SEALs know everything, and I'm I was actually purposely just talking that way to kind of get it out that way because that's the way I was thinking. And like we've been here forever. Um, the 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 if only the only thing that's changing is is we're pouring more money into this place. We uh, we originally came here. To kill Bin Laden, and the guy's a ghost, and you're never going to find him. And so there I am having a Christmas party right around 2011, not realizing that some of the team that actually found Bin Laden uh, are there, probably at the party, but I wasn't smart. And when they said I wasn't smart, to realize my surroundings, I probably wasn't. They were there, um, and you know, 2010 turned <laughs> into 2011, and then four months later, sure as shit, uh, they found Bin Laden. But... Uh, that is my last Christmas overseas, and then uh, that's when, after that Christmas, I went home. We did go diving to Miami, and then we got a call one night, and then we had to go back to Virginia Beach, and that's what they said. We found a thing. This thing is in a house. This house is in a bowl, and uh, you guys are going to go get this thing and bring it back to us. And as we used to say, uh, especially at Red Team, and that is when shit went sideways. So we do talk about historical stuff and some of my personal stories and sometimes current events. And if you've been paying attention to current events, a lot of the headlines have been in the financial world. And even if you're not into that, I do want you to check this out. Look at Masterworks. They let you invest in fine art worth millions. This is not an NFT. This is not crypto. This is Picasso. I personally don't know Picasso from a hole in the wall, but I do know results. Masterworks has sold a painting for 13.9% net return to their investors. How do they do that? Masterworks breaks art into shares through the SEC so you can invest without needing millions. If Masterworks sells a painting you're invested in for profit, you get a share of the payout. There's over 600,000 users, 
$650 million invested. Their most recent painting sold in late November for a 13.9% net return. And now, as we're heading into the new year and likely recession, Masterworks still has so much demand that paintings have been selling out in minutes. But here's the trick for you. Masterworks has a waiting list, but you can get priority access right now at masterworks.art slash operator. Masterworks dot art slash operator you get an awesome welcome for being a listener here head of the line privilege masterworks dot art slash operator go check it out so christmas is overseas uh i misspoke i said that the 2010 christmas in jalalabad was my last christmas overseas that was I misspoke. That was my last planned Christmas overseas because I did have another one because, you know, we went home. Like I said, we got the Bin Laden raid and that's when everything turned around. Things got turned on their heads after the the Bin Laden raid because, you know, we all know what happened and the word just spread. And um, we went through kind of like um, like a a washing machine of dog and pony shows where people want to meet the guys who were on the raid that killed Bin Laden, but no one wants to say our names. Nobody wants to admit it, but everyone from the Secretary of Defense to the President, the Vice President, their cabinet, uh, other than Hillary Clinton, she didn't need to meet us. She had other shit going on. But we went down to Tampa to get our Silver Stars that we were awarded, which is another story where the President of the United States said we could get any awards that we wanted, and someone said blanket Silver Stars, which fine. But I think so. there were some people on that target that did some brave brave things that deserve higher whatever their awards. Um, and then uh, just traveling around, regardless of whether or not people wanted notoriety, the name SEAL Team 6 came out that night. Vice President Joe Biden announced that SEAL Team 6 was there. And they did it, and uh, that had some people concerned because there are people on the raid that you'll never hear from, and that's fine, and, that, and that's the way they want to live. That's great. Uh, I, I kind of knew it was coming out, and uh, you know the people that were on target know what happened, and I, I'm a, I've said it before, and the truth is unless you were right there at the time, you only know what you were told. So we know what happened. And there was some internal strife and shit like that. And guys are a little bit uncomfortable with the the notoriety of the raid. That's in 2011, May, June. It's getting weird around July. And then August, um, Extortion 17 was shot down. And without question, the worst, the worst thing that could have happened, the, the, the worst tragedy in the history of the SEAL teams. And it also started to suck because... President Obama is the one who approved the raid to kill bin Laden, and a lot of people on the right don't like that. So they start coming up with conspiracies that that was the team that killed bin Laden, and Obama had him shot down with guns that, that Hillary sent through Libya. Um, so they silenced the they silenced the team that killed bin Laden. Except for me, I'm the only one, and I'm a well, I don't know, I don't know the the. The story behind that. I don't want to get in. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now. But morale sucked. I hope eventually to get interviews. I, I, there are some guys on the raid. I hope I can interview and some gold star families from from uh, my brothers in arms that were on um, extortion one seven to just talk about what they know. And there 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 is a lot behind it. There's a lot with the aftermath. Um, needless to say, morale took a complete dump for us. We lost a troop from Gold Squadron who was overseas, and then but they need to get backfilled with with uh, people in leadership positions. Someone needs to go over there because they lost a troop. 
And um, I was having some internal problems with Red Squadron, just different shit that hopefully we can get into one day. That doesn't, whatever, it, it is what it is. And um, I had a talk with with uh, the Master Chief from Silver Squadron. They're going to backfill gold. I went over there as a team leader because one of their team leaders got hurt. So we went over to Forward Operating Base Shank, which is as beautiful as it sounds, especially in the winter. We did go over there right around the end of November, early December, something like that. So we had another Christmas. Morale was still low, but we're going to do the best we can. And Shank is one of those places in eastern Afghanistan where there's no lights. I mean, we did bring Christmas lights. We, like, decorated the inside of our B-Huts. The B-Huts at this point, like I said, were homesteaders. So they're they're pretty nice. We had the stadium seating um, with leather couches and a big, big plasma TV. In winter in Afghanistan, again, not a lot going on. So we did make sure in between workouts and a little bit of training that we would have what we call family night. So we would watch... Whatever show we're binge watching at the time get together. But this Christmas was fun because I'm assuming we did Secret Santa again. I was with some guys that used to be at Red. I knew them well. I knew some other guys from different teams. We're all there. And somebody, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, and I, I we did this on Christmas night where somebody had actually sent us a care package that was awesome with a copy of the Big Lebowski, a big bottle of vodka, some non-dairy creamer, and some Kahlua. Um so, and robes, bathrobes. So we could put on our bathrobes. One guy even had a wig. So he looked like the dude. Um, so in and around Christmas, we had Big Lebowski night with the whole crew. And it was awesome. I'm sure we did a Secret Santa, like I said. And that's how we celebrated Christmas. One more Christmas. We went through, finished that deployment. And the reason, like I said, I uh, my end of obligated service, my end of active obligated service was in January. I extended to, to uh, uh, August, and that's where I had to figure out what the shit I was going to do. Um, because the shitty thing, I mean, even though Christmas is fun and we're having a good time right now, um, there's a point where veterans need to transition into the private sector. And what am I going to do with my family? Because the 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 Navy's not going to continue to pay you, and they don't owe you. And I didn't know them, and I came through the front door. I'm going to leave through the front door. But my last Christmas overseas, hopefully from now on, was once again, in Afghanistan. And, um, you know, great Christmas stories. Here, uh, and here's a, we're going to get into another Christmas story here. So here we are again, and I mention this every single week. We talk about preparation and planning and the report that came out recently that the American household net income dropped by over $6 trillion just in the second quarter of this year. That's the most on record. Were you prepared? What are you doing to plan for the report that's coming out after the new year? Take my advice. Protect your financial future with gold and silver from my friends at Allegiance Gold. Allegiance Gold can help protect your IRA or 401k with physical gold and silver, or if you prefer, have it delivered securely right to your front door. I've been all over the planet, and there is only one universal currency that is always of value, and that is gold. Allegiance Gold has some of the highest ratings in the industry. Five stars with TrustLink, AAA rated with the Business Consumer Alliance and an A-plus from the Better Business Bureau. Go to protectwiththeoperator.com and get up to $2,500 of free silver on a qualifying purchase when you tell them the operator sent you. Or you can call them at 844-790-9191. That's 844-790-9191. We cannot control this administration, but we can prepare for the consequences of their policies. So go to protectwiththeoperator.com. That's protectwiththeoperator.com or give them a call at 844-790-9191. So those are just some personal accounts 
of Christmas, stuff that I've seen overseas, proof that you can you can have a good time if you keep a positive attitude no matter where you go. We had fun um, in Afghanistan and Christmas and whatnot. And I see, you know, some of them are fun. Some of them are not so fun. And the, the next story is not a fun story, but it's it's one that, it's not a Christmas story, but it, 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 it's, it reminds a lot of people, if you know your history of this time of year. Again, not American history, but if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. And that's a problem with, with uh, some stuff happening today. A lot of people don't like the past, so they just try to squash it, try to get rid of it and tear down statues and um, not realize that even though something happened in the past, they're living in the time uh, and there are bad things, you should learn from it so you don't repeat it. And uh, there's a, there's a, well, it's like one of those fascist things where you shut them down, admit nothing, deny everything, make counter accusations. No, I'm not a fascist. You're a fascist. Anti-fascist, burn it down. And uh, all that that bullshit you see happening. But there's a story that I want to talk about because it has to do with socialism. And that's a, that's a, a common thing right now as people, they want socialism. Like it's, it's not socialism. It's not socialism. It's, um, democratic socialism and they're changing the name for it. And, uh, if you've noticed in our history, especially we've never had soldiers fight for socialism. We fought against socialism. Uh, if you look at history, like, so socialism, communism, they're, you know, that's very thin ice with hot blades. These are pretty much the same thing. They, even the Nazis apologized for their atrocities in later years because they realized how bad they were. But you'll notice that socialists never had. They never, they never apologized for communism, even though they've killed more people than, than, than anything. But uh, they'll, they'll never say, um, we, we're sorry. All they say is, no, it didn't work because we didn't do it, uh, we didn't do it the right way. It's true. It never worked, and it never will f- for you. It'll work for the people in power because if you look around and notice that dictators get very, very wealthy. Um, they, they, they get rich while people get more poor. They make, the, they make the locals depend on them. And then eventually, if you don't possess anything, you, you're not free. You're, just, you're depending on the, on the politicians. If you look, and again, I'm not saying this is what's happening, but you'll notice that a lot of people go into D.C. as politicians, even though Washington, D.C. doesn't produce anything. And they get a lot of wealth. DC produces nothing, but they have some of the best houses in the world. A lot of the best buildings built on, on, um, on the taxpayer's dime. Uh, so that's that's scary to think about. I want the reason I'm bringing this up is because there was a couple in uh, Romania, uh, Nikolai and Elena Ceausescu, and they rose to power after um, you know they went to China in the early '70s. His wife Elena, who became uh, you know the, a doctorate of all this bullshit, um, they they came back and they kind of they took over Romania that way, and they made bad deals. They're trying to repay debt, but they're doing Ponzi scheme type stuff. They made deals with Iran until the Islamic Revolution and the Shah was overthrown again. Same names, but the entire time, um, th- what they're doing is they're they're appointing they're appointing people to key positions. So I've mentioned before the same names and, and you realize in a regime, if you, if you, we've seen the same names everywhere. Start appointing your friends at different places. So you're, you're not being represented by elected officials. You're being, re, you're, you're being kind of ruled by uh, bureaucrats and by three letter agencies, like I mentioned before. And um, they were they like Elena, Ceausescu eventually was appointed the first deputy prime minister. Uh, she was referred to in the local. One of the keys to communism is to control the media 
and shut down your rivals. So she was referred to, I'm trying to read this as a, bear with me, was the uh, combat, combat? No, she was referred to as the comrade academician, doctor, engineer, Alina Ceausescu, brilliant politician and patriotic scholar of broad international renown. And that's what they're talking about her. And so she would, um, they, they, they would travel around. So they're, they're, they're amassing great debt, but they're building up their fortune. The, some of their buildings, they have some of the most, um, like the vast uh, golden dining rooms, the indoor pools, the different villas everywhere. And people, people now, like they can't afford bread and they're freezing in winter because they can't afford heat. Uh, bread lines, food shortages, and we're kind of being warned about that here now. And um, like when they traveled overseas, I'm trying to read this here. They went to France in like 1978, and apparently, like they're ripping off the president of France to the point where he called Queen Elizabeth and said, "Hey, the Ceausescu's are coming to visit Buckingham Palace." And in a nutshell, I'm not—I don't speak French, but he said something along the lines of, uh, "Lock up your shit," <laughs> which is crazy. And they, you know, they kept doing this to a to a um, to a point where there was a huge revolution in Romania in 1989, where the people had had enough. Because what's what's the saying is is uh, in in capitalism, no, in communism, you wait for the bread, and capitalism, the bread waits for you, and you start running out of stuff, and and it's almost it's scary right now to think about that because we do we have shortages before they have locked us down they ha- they've made us depend on the government in the past, and you just got to watch out for the who's who's the people behind the scene that aren't elected that are the same czar of this or whatever people that are actually pulling the strings, but um like they had the, the secret police I don't mean to bounce all over I did take notes like I said a secret police was responsible for mass surveillance, severe repression. And um, they controlled the media, and they controlled academia. So the reason I'm bringing this up, you know, extravagant furs, all this stuff, people are freezing. They were brought to the um, uh, Nikolai Ceausescu gave a speech in one of the town squares somewhere, and he was kind of used to that, where he's the communist and he's getting up there and he's literally saying, "We must shut down the the anti-communist fascists and shut them down because they're trying to whatever the people." This, I mean, you're hearing a lot of the same shit. This has happened in Romania. And again, this is a very severe case, but Nikolai Ceausescu and Elena Ceausescu realized, okay, this is bad. And they tried to bail. So they're leaving. They got captured and they were brought back to, um, to the capital. And they're, in, they're there. And people sometimes get so powerful, like I said, that they, they're, they don't realize that they're not in they they think they're in charge and they're so above everyone else. So they're being held by this. Uh, there's a colonel in the in the Romanian army, and he's not sure what the hell to do with them. But he all he knows is he's got a gun and and he's trying to keep them quote unquote safe until the trial, which isn't a real trial. And they don't the Ceausescu's don't even realize what's actually happening. They think they're in charge. Like they were appalled at the um, the the metal plates they were being served. Pretty good meals considering the people are freezing to death of like breads, jellies, and meats and stuff like that that you can't even find there. They're appalled the metal plates because they want the fine china, the gold china that they're used to eating on. And it kind of clicked in Nikolai's head that, wait a minute, this is... This is creepy. This some this is so he actually instead of calling the colonel like the shit colonel, he started calling him comrade colonel and whatnot. And then they they um they got a group together and there's video of this, and they bring the Ceausescu's in there and they said that uh, like people couldn't even recognize Nikolai Ceausescu who had been in the public eye for so long because you know he he'd been on the lamb or whatever they call it. And they said that Elena she looked okay but she smelled horrifying, 
and they have him in a trial. There's video of this. They're videoing, um, and then one of the guards said, "Yeah, that we're worried that some of the pro-communists." And th- um, this is when shit goes sideways when you got guards out front, and they told the dude, "Yeah, um, people might soldiers might come in this room and try to." Uh, save them you need to execute the chichescus and we don't care who you hit in the way or whatever like we're talking friendly fire for real on purpose so they're having this trial obviously they find him guilty but they don't need evidence they've had him these two fuckers forever this is christmas day and uh they sentence them to execution and i'm not talking about appeal i'm saying we're going out in the courtyard now uh you three paratroopers with the uh, Kalashnikovs, you're shooting these two. So now the Ceausescus are literally kicking and screaming, shouting out orders that they still are so drunk on power they can't realize what's happening. And he's he's yelling, she's yelling. He starts singing their national anthem or some shit, and she's saying, you can't shame us, and you're hurting my arm, untie me. And they're dragging him out the whole time. They're barking out orders to these people that they think are dogs. And it's here's a woman who said about her people, and if this is the way crazy people drunk on political power she said what uh the worms never get satisfied regardless of how much food you give them they they're not even what they're saying so they're they're kicking and screaming uh cold winter the irony of right before their last order which was granted for some reason was we don't want to die alone so kill us together. So they go out there. They're still barking orders. You can watch the video. It's really creepy because they don't even. It's almost like they don't even realize it until the very end. Uh, they were executed in a courtyard on a very cold day while people were freezing. And they. It's ironic they were wearing designer winter jackets, and that happened. Merry Christmas on Christmas Day. <laughs> Craziness. And again, I don't think for a second. Well. Don't think too hard for a second that I'm comparing what happened in Romania that could happen here, but it is one of those things with the normalcy bias that nothing bad like that can happen here until it happens, and then it happens. I mean, there could never be a pandemic where the government locks us down, and then you get into a point where, you you know, I don't like conspiracy theories, but the whole thing with like, well, there's the... Our our, uh, our bureaucrats and intel agencies are spying on us. Well, no, that's crazy until it turns out they're spying on us, which they are, which is nuts. And it's it's to the point, too, where you're not even allowed to question it. But certain things, like we're going to hire thousands of new IRS agents to come make sure our P's and Q's and our Venmo's correct, but don't ask where that money to Ukraine's going. Don't ask why we're still funding NATO. Don't ask why the Pentagon's still so big. Don't ask why we're still talking about defending Taiwan and China, 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 and we got to build this and why this pipeline was destroyed, but we shut that one down. You know, don't don't ask that because you're you know you're going to get yelled at, branded, or God forbid, locked up. And that's that's a problem with with um, you know billions and billions of dollars. Where's the national interest and in what you're spending and why? The the well, you know one way we should talk about soon too would be the uh, the danger of the military industrial complex. I've talked about that too. It's been brought up, but a lot of money being pumped out there. But a lot of people don't care because we we are. It's like in Vietnam. That's a, a, a we're we're no not Vietnam. Sorry, the Vietnam was had the draft. Obviously, I think the civil first draft was in the Civil War. But when we started the War on Terror, that's the first wars that we fought that were that were funded by debt. And now we're getting further and further into debt, where the the word trillion doesn't even matter. We used to be offended by billion. Now it's trillions, and they're doing it right now. And then we've locked people down to a point where you just stay at home 
and we'll just fund you, we being the government, and we'll keep funding you to the point now where there's millions of jobs available, but people don't want them because they can make as much money and get the same benefits. They can make more money or close to by sitting at home, and the government will keep funding them. Eventually, that's going to that's gonna run out, and where are you then? If you, Like I said before, if you own nothing, you, you are not freedom without possessions, and the whole thing with the czars and the appointed officials and the attorneys and the lobbyists and the bureaucrats and the, the, the agencies that aren't, the EPA, they're not elected. They're sure as shit telling us what to do, where we can and can't do whatever based on this, where we can't train, where we can't drill, or whether we should drill. Um, you know, they're, they're telling you, st- they're not, they're, these are, uh, the, 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 the irony that I found here is the, the term representative democracy literally defines itself. Representative democracy is where the population governs the population through elected representatives. And that's what we're supposed to be based on, but we're growing out of that. And I'm not do- being a, a doomsday guy. I'm not trying to, trying to be that dude. I'm just, I'm just saying it's important to open your eyes occasionally and uh, look around and see what's happening because there's a lot of stuff that's happening here and a lot of questions you're not allowed to ask. And if you do, you get in trouble or shut down. But um, being in the Christmas spirit, it was refreshing because I was able to talk to my kids and my daughters are of a, of a certain age, and, and, and it's important for us to keep communication with each other because, unfortunately, people my age, that's some of you, some are younger, some are older, we now are the know-it-alls in the room, whereas, well, kids today, they just don't communicate, and I'm guilty of saying that. And I said to my, um, you know, I, I was talking about different stuff like uh, kids don't talk to each other. You guys don't even know how to, how to communicate, how to ask each other on a date, and one of my kids said, well, no, that's not true because we are talking to each other and I'm talking to hundreds of people that, well, probably not hundreds, I'm talking to a lot of people hundreds of miles away that I can communicate with. I'm communicating, it's just different. It's evolving. Communication is evolving. And so, you know, back in the day, you didn't have this. And I'll say, well, you know, we didn't have TikTok and maybe that's a, you know, something being run by China. And my kids are like, well, why do we care? I'm like, well, you should care because of these algorithms we're getting into. And if they can see your keystrokes, they're, um, they're, um, they can see your passwords to your bank accounts. They can see your online banking. They can get in here. And, uh, you know, it's a, uh, and again, me being the know it all, they didn't care because, you know, they need that, whatever, how many second videos it is. But it was refreshing to hear, to hear my daughter say, no, I am communicating. We do talk to each other. And, uh, you know, communication is different. So that's the whole, the whole nice thing that keeping the communication lines open with each other, um, regardless of religion, regardless of age. Um, obviously race, anything like that. It's important to communicate because we're not as crazy in person, I've said this before, as we are online, and most people are good. And, you know, we th- there's doomsday out there, uh, but we managed to get through it. I mean, the you know, pandemic, well, it was over until the next election season, then hopefully, or whatnot, and we're going to find a lot of shit to, to argue about. But it was nice to talk to my, uh, to my kids and the realization that, the, the, you know, the generation before us, we didn't know shit. They didn't know shit about shit because we were the know-it-alls at that age. Now they, now we're the know-it-alls and, and, you know, those kids get off my lawn. But, no, we are communicating. I do know how to talk and do have an open mind. It was, you know, cool. Between that, World Cup, Monday Night Football, it was nice to just sit around. Christmas. Uh, Christmas is great. Um, you know, you know, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, uh, whatever you celebrate. I know uh, Ramadan's coming up. I think I listened to... <laughs> to um, I like Glenn Beck. I've been on I've been on one of his shows one time. I met him in person. I've been a fan of his for a while. But I, why I love Glenn I, because I mentioned, forgive me, I mentioned uh, Doomsday, and he gets mis 
uh, labeled a doomsdayer. They just call, but Glenn Beck's a great dude. And what I love about the way he talks is he never says, trust me on this. He says the opposite. Do not trust me on this. Here's where I found it. Do your own research. And that's important to do that too. Don't take shit for face value. Uh, do your own research. Most people are good, just not online. And <laughs> one thing he said, um, this was years ago. I remember he said he was tired of the political correctness and all the wokeness. And he came up with a term. He just said, happy Ramahana Kwanzmas. I think that's what I'm going to have this year, a happy Ramahana Kwanzmas. But I am going to leave you with this because, again, I love this time of year. I am, I'm getting fat right now. Hopefully, you know, New Year's will I'll renew my membership at whatever gym I join. Um, but this one hit me. It said um, um, that Christmas, uh, it said, uh, peace with God, peace with others, and peace in your own heart. And uh, I love that too. I added my my own to the end of that. Just don't get blackout drunk at your company holiday party, and you're never out of the fight.